You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of the Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record by Rudolf Steiner, a collection of lectures. This is Lecture 8, given in Berlin on the 18th of November, 1913. In my last lecture, I spoke of events occurring in the life of Jesus of Nazareth from his twelfth year to his baptism in the Jordan as they appear in the Fifth Gospel. I spoke of the significant experience Jesus of Nazareth had in a pagan place of worship and was able to show that by reading the Akashic record we are able to see that he had an impression of demons surrounding the altar in that place of worship. Let me briefly remind you how he fell down as if dead, as if removed to another world where he was able to perceive the divine and spiritual secrets of the ancient doctrines taught in the pagan mysteries. This enabled him to gain a living idea of what paganism had once been and what it had become in his day. I mentioned that during that time, when he was in an altered state of consciousness, at a pagan altar, he heard words proclaimed as though from the world of the Spirit, These told a secret from the most ancient sacred doctrine of pagan peoples, the secret of how the human being got caught up in the material, physical world of the senses. He heard a voice coming from worlds of spirit, the voice that had spoken to the pagan prophets of old. What he heard was a kind of cosmic Our Father, which says what the inner destiny of man must inevitably be, because from birth to death he is bound up with earth matter. It was later reversed to become the earthly Our Father. I was able to say the words of the cosmic Our Father for the first time when we laid the foundation stone in Dornach. I am going to read them out again, for these words truly hold the original teachings of pagan humanity. I am going to present them in the German language to the best of my ability. And the reader aside, I am going to read them to the best of my ability in German. Amen. Es walten die Übel, zeugen sich lösende Ichheit, von andern erschuldete Selbstheitsschuld, erlebet in dem täglichen Brote, in dem nicht Waltet der Himmel Wille, da der Mensch Sieg schied von eurem Reiche und vergaß euren Namen, ihr Vetter in den Himmeln. Amen, the evils hold sway, witness of egoity freeing itself, selfhood guilt through others incurred, experienced in the daily bread, wherein the will of the heavens does not rule, because man separated himself from your realm 
and forgot your names, you fathers in the heavens. Close quote. Those were approximately the words Jesus of Nazareth heard in pagan lands, the secret of the earthly human being as it was presented in ancient sacred teachings. They hold deep secrets of human evolution. Jesus was able to hear them and they entered deeply into his soul when he was coming up to his twenty-fourth year. From then on he knew words which had once in early times of human evolution sounded from the world of the Spirit. They seemed so great and powerful to him that he said to himself, especially in the light of impressions gained at the derelict pagan center of worship, Quote, there is no one on earth today who can understand them. Quote. We have seen that in three successive periods of his young life, he gained profound insight into Judaism, paganism, and the Essene order. We have seen that each in turn proved a source of deep suffering. For each time he had to say to himself, quote, they might still exist if conditions among humanity today were such that they could be received, but those conditions cannot be created now. Quote. That was the fruit of this period in Jesus' life. The fifth gospel shows that before he received the Christ into himself, Jesus was able to say to himself, quote, In the course of evolution, human beings have developed faculties that obscure the faculties of earlier times. Because of this, people are no longer able to receive the messages from the world of the Spirit which the ancient Hebrews and pagans had been able to receive. Quote. His connection with the Essenes had forced him, forced him to say to himself that the way the Essenes were able to reunite with the world of the Spirit was open only to a small band of people and not to the whole of humanity. Their road thus seemed equally impossible. Poor, poor humanity, he thought. You would not be able to understand the pagan prophets of old if they were to speak again. You would not be able to understand the Hebrew prophets of old if they were to speak again. And not all of you will be able to aim for the goal the Essenes are seeking to attain. Only a small band can do this seeking perfection at the cost of the rest of humanity. I am putting this in a few dry words. To him it was life, a painful inner reality. With infinite compassion he shared the suffering of all humanity, compassion he had to feel in order to mature to the point where he would be able to take the Christ spirit into himself. Before this, however, Jesus of Nazareth had an important talk with the individual known to us as his foster mother or stepmother. We know that the true biological mother, the Nathan Jesus, the child who in his twelfth year had received the Zarathustra spirit into himself, had died soon after that time, and that her soul had long since been in the world of the spirit. You also know from lectures I have given in earlier years that the father of the Solomon Jesus child had died and that the two families of the two children had become a single family in Nazareth, 
bringing Jesus and the other children together with the Zarathustra mother. We know that Jesus of Nazareth's father died when Jesus returned from a relatively long journey in about his twenty-fourth year, and that Jesus of Nazareth was now living alone with his foster mother. Generally speaking, this mother had needed some time to gain deep inner understanding of all the profound experiences Jesus of Nazareth had gone through. As the years went on, the souls of Jesus of Nazareth and his foster mother progressively merged into one into the other, as it were. In the time, immediately after his twelfth year, Jesus had to cope with his deep, painful inner experiences on his own. The other members of the family really only saw a form of dementia developing. His mother, however, found a way of gaining increasing understanding. And so it came about that in his twenty-ninth or thirtieth year, Jesus of Nazareth was able to have that important talk with his mother. This had a profound effect, as we shall see. Essentially, the talk was a kind of review of everything Jesus of Nazareth had experienced from his twelfth year onward. The Akashic record shows how the talk went. Jesus of Nazareth, first of all, spoke of experiences gained between his twelfth and sixteenth or eighteenth year, when he had gradually entered into inner experience of the ancient Hebrew teachings. He had not been able to gain such experience through anyone in his social environment, which was also true of the words he had spoken among the scholars in the temple, much to their surprise. But inspirations would always rise up in him, and he knew that they came from the world of the Spirit. Hebrew teachings arose in him in such a way that he knew himself to be the possessor of those ancient Hebrew teachings, though at the time none had ears to hear them. He was on his own with those teachings, and it caused him great pain to be thus alone. His mother had much to say when he told her that even if the voices of the Hebrew prophets were to be heard again today, there would be no one to understand them. She said that there had been Hillel, for example, a great teacher of the law. Jesus of Nazareth appreciated Hillel for what he had been and had meant for Judaism. I need not tell you of Hillel's significance. You will find it fully recognized in Judaic literature. Hillel had renewed the best virtues and teachings of ancient Judaism. He had also brought renewal to Judaism by the fact of his own personal nature, not because he was a scholar, but because everything he did, and above all his feelings, will, and desires, and his way of dealing with people, clearly showed the transformation all forms of true wisdom bring about in the human soul. Patience in dealing with others, a much-praised virtue in Judaism, though people no longer really understood it. Hillel was rightly acclaimed for it. The way he had come to work among the Hebrews had been unusual. He was originally from Babylon, but from a family descended from the David family itself, who had been transplanted there by the Jews at the time of exile. Hillel thus combined, element, combined elements he had taken up in Babylon with the Hebrew nature that pulsed in his blood. A well-known legend tells of the way this influenced his inner life. 
The story goes that one day Hillel was just arriving in Jerusalem, where the most renowned Hebrew scholars had met for various discussions, with arguments going to and fro concerning the secrets of Hebrew teachings. Hillel did not have any money, being a poor man. It was very cold, but he, nevertheless, climbed up a small hill in front of the house where the discussions were held, so that he might follow them through the window. He did not have the entrance money. The night was so cold that he was frozen stiff, and when the people found him there in the morning, they had to thaw him out first. However, by going through this, he had been able to participate in the discussion in his ether body. And while the others also heard abstract words flying to and fro, Hillel had perceived a world of wonderful visions that transformed his soul. There are many such stories. Hillel was famous for his patience, which was said to be inexhaustible. Once, so the story goes, someone made a bet that he would exhaust Hillel's patience completely and throw him in a rage. The bet was made, and the individual who said he would make Hillel angry, that is, exhaust his patience, agreed to go and do this. He proceeded as follows. He went and knocked on the door when Hillel was preparing the lessons for the Sabbath and was in his undergarments, calling, Hillel, Hillel, come to the door. Hillel asked, What is it? Ah, Hillel, come to the door. I have an important question to ask you. Hillel put on his outer garment, went to the door and said, What do you want to ask, my son? The man who had made the bet said, Hillel, I have an important question to ask you. Why do some Babylonians have such pointed heads? Hillel replied, Well, you see, my son, the Babylonians have such bad midwives, and so they are born under difficult circumstances. That is why some people there have pointed heads. Go home now. Your question has been answered. Hillel went back inside and continued his preparations for the Sabbath. Soon the same individual returned again, calling, Hillel, Hillel, come to the door. Hillel answered, What is it you want, then? Ah, Hillel, I have an important question, and it needs to be answered immediately. Hillel came to the door again and said to the questioner, What is your question? He replied, "Uh, Please, tell me, Hillel, why are there so many people with eyes squeezed tight in Araby? Hillel said, In Araby the desert stretches far, and you can only look at it if your eyes have adapted to it. That is why many people in Araby go around with their eyes squeezed tight. Go now, my son, your important question has been answered. And Hillel went back inside. But it was not long before the man came for a third time, again calling out, Hillel, Hillel, come to the door. What is it? Hillel, come to the door. I have an important question that needs to be answered immediately. Hillel went to the door and the man said, Ah, Hillel, please tell me, why do many people in the region around Egypt have such flat feet? Hillel replied, My son, their feet are flat because they live in marshy regions. They need flat feet, like many of the birds living in marshlands, and their feet have to be adapted to the environment. That is why their feet are flat. So, now, my son, your question has been answered. And again he went back inside. A few minutes later the man came knocking on the door again, but he had grown more and more miserable with every question, and now, feeling even more miserable than before, he called, Hillel, come to the door. And when Hillel came, he said, Hillel, I made a bet that I could get you in a rage. I have tried three times, asking you questions. Please tell me what I should do so that I do not lose my bet. But Hillel said, My son, it is better for you to lose your bet than that Hillel should get in a rage. Go and pay up. 
The example is intended to show the degree of patience Hillel had achieved in the eyes or opinion of his fellow Hebrews. Jesus of Nazareth also knew the influence this man had had, but he knew not only what Hillel had done. His own inner ear had heard the great Bath Kol, that is, a voice from heaven, when the secrets once made known to the prophets had arisen within his own soul. And he therefore knew that even Hillel had perceived only a faint echo of something their Hebrew ancestors had once been able to hear. Now their descendants were no longer able to hear even the faint echo that sounded in Hillel's voice, let alone the great Bath Kol. All this lay heavy on his heart, and he spoke to his mother about it. He told her what he had suffered, how, week after week, he recognized more and more clearly the nature of the ancient sacred teachings of the Hebrews, and that descendants of the ancient Hebrews no longer had the ears to hear what once had been the words of the great prophets. And now his mother understood, and was able to receive his words with deep feeling and a heart full of understanding. He then spoke of the experience he had after his eighteenth year, when he had travelled in Jewish and pagan regions. It was only now that he told his mother of how he had come to a pagan place of worship that had been abandoned by its priests. A deadly, highly infectious disease had afflicted the local people. When the people saw Jesus, the news spread like wildfire that a very special individual was coming, for it was a characteristic of Jesus of Nazareth that he made an impression wherever he went simply by the way he bore himself. The greatest sorrow of those people was that their priests had abandoned them and their altars stood unused. Now they thought Jesus of Nazareth was coming as a priest to perform the offering service. Soon a large crowd had gathered around the derelict altar. Jesus of Nazareth was not willing to perform the offering rite, but he saw the deeper reasons for the people's suffering he saw something that may be put as follows. In the past, proper offering services had been performed at those altars, an outer ritual to reflect the ancient mystery revelations of those pagan countries. In ancient and most holy times those rites had been performed in the right mood by the priests, and the divine spirits with whom those pagan peoples were connected would take part in the rite. Jesus knew this from direct perception. But the offering rites had gradually fallen into decadence and been corrupted. The priests no longer had the right attitude, and the result was that instead of the good divine spirits of old, demons now reigned in those places of worship, and these demons were responsible for the people's sufferings. Jesus of Nazareth saw the demons gathered in the place. They challenged his clairvoyant eye, E-Y-E, as it were, and he fell down as one dead. As he fell, the people realized that he had not come to perform the offering at their altar. They took to their heels, and at that moment he saw how the world of the old pagan gods had changed into a world of demons, and realized that these were the reason for the people's sufferings. Inwardly he was then taken back to ancient pagan times, when the true revelations of ancient sacred teachings had come down to the people. 
and it was on this occasion that he heard the cosmic Our Father, which I read to you. Then he knew how far removed our present-day humanity, and also the humanity of his time, both pagans and Hebrews, had become from the ancient teachings and revelations. He himself had gained his knowledge of Judaism through the voice of the great Bothkol. Paganism had come to him in a terrible vision that was very different from any abstract communication, for it changed his soul. And so he knew that people no longer had the ears to understand what in Judaism had once sounded in the voices of the prophets, nor for what had once come down to the pagans of old. He told all this to his mother in moving words. Then he spoke of being in the Essene community, and especially of something which would have been difficult to understand if his mother had not already developed such deep understanding. He told her how on one occasion, as he left an Essene gathering, he had seen Lucifer and Ahriman flee from the gates. He knew that Essene methods could not be used by the masses. They enabled people to unite with the world of the Divine Spirit, but only by rejecting Lucifer and Ahriman. And if this was done, Lucifer and Ahriman were given even greater opportunity to go to others and enmesh them more deeply in earth existence, which meant that those other people could not share in the union with the world of the Spirit. In the light of this experience, Jesus of Nazareth knew that the Essene way, too, could not serve the whole of humanity, being possible only for a small band of people. This was the third painful realization that came to him. His way of telling these things was unusual. His words did not merely go across to his mother, but they were like living beings that entered into her heart. As the profound meaning of these words, a meaning full of suffering but also filled with profound love for humanity, entered into her soul, she felt inwardly strengthened by a power that came to her from him, and she felt that her soul was changing. It was as if Everything that lived in Jesus' soul had gone over into his mother's soul in the course of this talk, and it was the same also for him. Here the Akashic record reveals something strange. Jesus of Nazareth spoke in such a way that the words rested from his soul that entered into the heart and soul of his mother always carried a piece of his own capital I with them. We might say that his own eye seemed to go across, as it were, to his mother on the wings of his words, though it did not in fact go across. It was merely that his mother felt she was given new life by those words. The strange effect of this talk was that the soul of the woman who had been the physical mother of the Nathan child came down from the world of the spirit and united with the soul of the foster mother. After that talk, the soul of the Nathan child's true mother had been received into the stepmother's soul. Virginity was reborn, as it were. The transformation of the mother's soul as another soul entered into it from worlds of the spirit is deeply moving to the spiritual observer who perceives that from then on the stepmother had become the vessel holding the mother 
who had been in the world of the Spirit from Jesus' twelfth to thirtieth year. For Jesus himself, it was as if he had given his eye to his mother, and now only physical body, ether body, and astral body lived in him, as though governed by cosmic laws. The urge arose in this threefold body to go to the individual he had met in the Essene community, who had been no more an Essene than himself, but had also been accepted by the community. The urge arose to go to John the Baptist. During the baptism, the Christ Spirit entered into the body of Jesus of Nazareth, as we know from the other four Gospels, a body that had put its eye, capital, which was bound up with that body's essential nature and all the suffering experienced in it, into the words that had gone out to his mother's soul. The threefold body received the Christ Spirit into it, which then took the place of the other eye in those three bodies. The fifth gospel, which can be found in the Akashic record, also tells us of the temptation which followed the conception of the Christ Spirit. It is, however, presented in a somewhat different aspect there, and I shall again do my best to tell you how the scene presents itself. Christ Jesus, as we may now call him, first faced Lucifer, who put a question the manner and form of which a spiritual investigator is well able to understand. The question has to be translated into everyday words, of course, if we want to report it. It is also reported in the other Gospels, a question specifically intended to address arrogance and conceit. Quote, All the realms you see around you, Lucifer was referring to the realms of the astral world in its vastness, shall be yours if you acknowledge me to be your Lord. Put at the right moment, at least to a human being, the question is an impulse of deepest temptation, arousing all the forces and drives of arrogance and conceit in the human soul. It would be difficult to get a real idea of this if we were to think of the astral world in purely abstract terms. However, for someone who knows the reality of that world, the powers of the astral world, within which Lucifer was then speaking, have such an effect on the whole human constitution that all the demons of arrogance are let loose inside. And this happens with the same inevitability as hunger occurs when we have not eaten anything for four or five days. We cannot use feeble phrases such as, quote, do not be blinded by conceit, close quote. They will do fine on the physical plane, but lose all validity when the whole astral world lays siege to the human constitution. Christ Jesus withstood Lucifer's temptation, however, for he could not fall into arrogance. He rebuffed Lucifer. I would like to add something at this point. It is easy to get the sequence of events wrong when reading the Akashic record. I believe the sequence of the temptation to have been as it presented itself to me. It is possible, however, that it was the other way round. I do not think so, but I could not say with certainty that later verification will not show the sequence to have been the other way round. 
Please note that in telling you things from the Akashic record, I am speaking only of what really shows itself. And when there is some uncertainty, I draw your attention to the fact that this may later be amended. When the first attack, which came from Lucifer, had been repulsed, Lucifer and Araman appeared together. Speaking as one, they put to Christ Jesus the question of leaping down into the deep abyss. This was addressed to human pride. A roundabout way was used to address the question to human pride, to feeling above all fear. Christ Jesus refuted the question. He could not be tempted by addressing his pride or any feeling of being above fear. Lucifer had to yield at this point and leave him alone. Araman remained behind. He put the third question, and again the fifth gospel is in agreement with the other gospels. It was the question of turning stones into bread. If the Christ truly had the power, he should turn stones into bread. And behold, when this question was put, something remained that could not be answered. Christ Jesus was not entirely able to answer Araman's question, and Araman was not completely vanquished when he departed. This is apparent when we consider the Akashic record of the affair. And Christ Jesus knew that a residue remained in the case of Araman that could not be overcome by such an inner spiritual process, but needed other things before it could be resolved. Let me try and present this in a way that may be considered commonplace, but may make it easier for us to understand each other. Araman rules the laws of matter. Once the lectures given in Munich this year are published, people will be able to see more clearly through the whole world of Araman. Araman is lord of the laws of matter, laws which shall indeed only become spiritual when the whole of earth evolution has come to completion laws that remain active and effective. Araman is the rightful lord of those laws. If he did not abuse his powers, extending them to something else, he would represent an element which, in its own way, is an absolute necessity in earth evolution. But the words of the cosmic Our Father, quote, selfhood guilt through others incurred, experienced in the daily bread, wherein the will of the heavens does not rule, close quote, are true. Human beings are bound to the laws of matter while on earth. Unable to spiritualize what comes from the laws of matter in a purely inner soul process, for this needs something else, which has to come from outside. Everything to do with rich and poor has to do with this question. Everything that makes us part of a social order, subjecting us to laws we shall only be able to spiritualize within the whole course of earth evolution. And in connection with this, as I said, I am going to use a commonplace idea, but it is not meant to be so. The element we may call money will gradually govern our social order, govern, excuse me, money, which makes it impossible to live directly in laws into which the Spirit has entered. Everyone will know what is meant by this. And because it is impossible to make stones into bread, 
to have the spirit itself in matter, independent of materiality, because we have the rule of money, which is the mirror image of this impossibility, Araman rules supreme. Socially speaking, Araman lives in our money. Araman's question had to remain unanswered so that it would become the ideal for Christ Jesus to pour himself into earth evolution and gradually and slowly influence the whole further evolution of the earth. This could not just be done at the level of the soul. The whole of future earth evolution had to be filled with the Christ Spirit. Araman had the power to impose on the Christ the necessity to truly connect himself with earth evolution. He therefore entered into Judas later on, and in him had the means of truly bringing about the death of Christ. Through death the Christ essence then entered into the earth essence. Judas's deed was the question put by Araman that could not be fully answered. The Luciferic temptation could be overcome inwardly in the soul. Every human soul has to do this inwardly. Araman's nature is such that he will be overcome as human evolution progresses if human beings let the Christ essence enter into them more and more, identifying themselves with it. If we consider Araman's question, as it is shown in the Akashic record, we perceive a deep secret relating to historical evolution after the mystery of Golgotha. This says it all. And the Christ knew he needed to unite completely with the earthly body and become truly and wholly human. The process of becoming human was the source of three more years of suffering. For as observation of the fifth gospel in the Akashic record tells us, the Christ Spirit did not immediately become one with the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. Considering Christ Jesus walking on earth in the early stages, we can see that the Christ Spirit dwelt in the three bodies, but that it was not completely within them the way the eye is usually within a person. It was like a mighty aura that only lightly touched those three bodies. It was certainly possible, as happened on countless occasions, for the physical body of this Christ Jesus to be in one particular place, in solitude or with other people, when the Christ himself would be far away, moving around in the Spirit. When this Spirit appeared to one or other of the apostles, it would not always be in the physical body of Christ Jesus. Even then his spirit body was so powerful that his physical presence could always be felt. When the Gospels speak of the disciples being with the Christ, the fifth Gospel tells us that they were not always together physically, but it would be a visionary coming together enhanced to the level of physical presence. In the early days the Christ and the body of Jesus of Nazareth were only loosely connected, as it were. Gradually, however, they entered into closer and closer union. The Christ Spirit had to enter more and more and unite with the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. However, it was only toward the end of the three years that the Christ Spirit and the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth became one, as it were, 
and it only happened completely in the death on the cross, or rather immediately before it. This union with the human body meant continuous and increasing suffering, however. The union of the all-embracing, universal spirit of the Christ with the body of Jesus of Nazareth involved untold suffering that was to continue for three years. Seeing these things certainly does not make one sentimental, and the impression gained in the world of the Spirit is free from all sentimentality. No other suffering is likely to compare with the process in which the Christ Spirit united with the body of Jesus of Nazareth. One realizes how much a God had to suffer so that a humanity which had grown old might be rejuvenated again and human beings would be able to take full possession of the eye. The way it happened was like this. At the time when some disciples had already gathered around Christ Jesus, he would sometimes be united with them in the physical body, though as a spiritual entity he would be invisible to anyone who could only see with physical eyes. Only the disciples knew him to be among themselves, because of the way in which he had united with them. The Akashic record of the fifth gospel reveals something very strange. Christ Jesus would speak very little, especially during the early part of the three years. He was an influence. His mere presence would have an effect. Because of the special way in which the Christ Spirit was connected with the body of Jesus of Nazareth, he influenced other people in ways that otherwise did not exist in earth evolution. The poorly understood echo of this which has come down to us is rather ineptly given the name, in quotes, miracle. He had that influence because of the way his essential nature was made up. I shall say more on this on the next occasion. Now, however, I want to speak of something very strange. You would see the group of disciples go about and, with many impressions gained from the record, there would be a definite feeling that the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth was among them at the time. This would most often be the case when Christ Jesus walked in solitary places with the disciples. Often, however, you would get the impression that the physical Jesus of Nazareth was far away, but the disciples felt that the Christ Spirit was among them as they walked. The Spirit would, however, be able, and this is the strange thing, to speak through each of the disciples, sometimes one of them and sometimes another. And when one or the other of them would thus be speaking, his whole physiognomy would change in the eyes of the people who had come to listen. It would be hallowed, as it were, and everything would be different. One of them would always be as if transfigured, and on each occasion it would be a different one. All kinds of conditions had resulted in a general awareness that someone was rousing the people, spreading things about, and the leaders of the Jews at that time did not want this to happen. But they did not know who it was. He would speak first through one person and then through another, and it was this the Akashic record tells us which made Judas's betrayal necessary. 
I myself have to confess that the question as to why Judas's betrayal was necessary, why it was seriously necessary for someone from the group of disciples, someone who would know how to point a finger, as it were, with the Judas kiss, this is the one, always seemed a peculiar story to me, until I knew that they really were quite unable to know who it was, because the Christ was able to speak through any of them. He could not be recognized, even when he was among them in the body. Any of the others might be taken for him if he was speaking through them, and every one of them would speak. The Jews were unable to apprehend him until someone who knew when Christ Jesus would actually be among them in the body would tell them, This is the one. It really was a phenomenon of a very peculiar kind at that time something that happened at the focus, the center of gravity of earth evolution. I have sometimes said in a more theoretical way that humanity goes through a descent and an ascent and that the Christ impulse came to realization at the focal point of human evolution. There we get an impression of the tremendous significance of the Christ impulse in earth evolution. To gain that impression we have to establish the nature of this impulse in relation to the whole of earth evolution. I do not think that a simple narrative of the events as they present themselves to inner vision will have less of an effect on hearts and minds. I do not think that anything that has been said concerning the crucial significance of the Christ impulse will be less impressive because we realize what Jesus of Nazareth went through in the years when Zarathustra was in his body, how he gained in stature through suffering, and how good will and how good will arose from such suffering, so that the Zarathustra I was in the words said in the conversation, and with those words departed from itself. If we then learn how Jesus became free of himself in the talk with his mother, and how the Christ Spirit entered into him, how the Christ Spirit struggled with Araman and Lucifer, and how everything that followed arose from his suffering, I think these details, as they are presented, are entirely in accord with the major outlines provided through the science of the Spirit. It is difficult to speak without reservation of these things today but it must be considered a real obligation to offer to individual souls something that will become more and more necessary for inner development in times to come. I would therefore ask you once more to treat these things with reverence and keep them in your hearts. The end of Lecture 8